0: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's so nice to be able to speak with so many people from around the globe. It's an honor and a privilege. I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you for listening to us for so many years. I also want to take the opportunity to remind you of our services. At Watson Immigration Law, we primarily focus on business immigration. That means people who are starting companies such as startups and startup visas, and those include H-1Bs, L-1s, E-2s, O-1 visas, and many more. We help with all sorts of green cards, whether they're employment-based or family-based. We also help with citizenship cases. If you have questions about anything, you can reach us at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. That's www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. We have a very active blog where we talk about new updates that are happening all the time. I would invite you to subscribe to our blog, which is on our website, and you'll find the tab for the blog where you can put your email in and subscribe. Our office phone number is 206-292-5237. That's plus one, if you're not in the United States, 206 And our email address is info at com. We essentially help with all business immigration, investment immigration And family based immigration. I hope you'll subscribe to the blog, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please also find our articles in Above the Law and Entrepreneur Magazine. Thank you so much. We wish everybody a wonderful 2022. Welcome to the Startup Visa Podcast. I am your host, Tamina Watson. I am an immigration attorney at Watson Immigration Law and the author of the book, The Startup Visa. This podcast is a spin-off from the book. Here, we will discuss tips and strategies to make immigration cases successful for founders, entrepreneurs, investors, and business owners. Thanks for tuning in to the Startup Visa podcast. This is Tamina Watson of Tamina Talks Immigration and the Startup Visa podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. This particular episode is very, very special and close to my heart because we're going to be talking about an issue you have heard me speak about a lot. And today we have an incredible guest. I have had the privilege and honor of working with him in the past, and he has a new role in which he's going to be leading the effort that we will be speaking about. Our guest today is the senior immigration fellow of the newly established Institute for Progress. Jeremy Newfeld is a senior immigration fellow at the Institute for Progress, where he leads the immigration policy portfolio. Previously, he was an immigration policy analyst at the Niskanen Center. His work has been cited in numerous outlets, including the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and MSNBC. He graduated with a B.S. in economics from the University of Maryland, College Park, and is currently an economics Ph.D. student student at George Mason University. Welcome, Jeremy.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for being here. This is an exciting time for you. You're leading a whole new department in a new organization. Tell us about the organization. Tell us about the Institute for Progress.
1: Sure, I'm very excited about it. The Institute for Progress just launched last week, and it's committed to advancing scientific, economic, and industrial progress. As you know, the rate of productivity growth in the United States and around the developed world has slowed down significantly since the 1970s. Some of that is just that ideas are getting harder to find and all the low hanging fruit has has been picked. One of the things that means is that we need a lot more minds to be working on cutting edge issues and immigration, as, as we know, is one of the best ways to approach that. But some of the other causes of the slowdown are related to policy issues. And that is where a Think Tank can be very useful. And so the Institute for Progress tries to take some of the exciting new ideas that have been coming from two of, of what I think are some of the most interesting intellectual movements that have mostly been formed just in the last few years. The pretty new. Effective Altruism and Progress Studies, trying to take some of the ideas from those two movements and bringing them into the policy discussions and bring them to the attention of policymakers. And so the Institute for Progress, we just launched it last week. Immigration is going to be one of the three big departments. The other ones are going to be science, which refers to the way we fund and structure science, which again is also one of the key factors in economic and, and technological growth. And the other department is biosecurity, which is important, as we all know, because of the pandemic, but preventing future risks. And that's where we're starting out. Uh, But immigration, obviously, is is essential to all of these issues, bringing in top talent from around the world to work on cutting-edge problems
0: Well, congratulations and how wonderful that the organization just launched last week. So many, many congratulations to you, to the founders and good luck with all the amazing goals and aspirations you have, because I know it's going to be useful for all of us, not just here in America, but around the world, because we know that the policies that are implemented in this country has a ripple effect. And so good luck with all of those. So before we go into your department and immigration, Tell us about yourself. How did you get into this? Why immigration? How do you match economics with immigration? And we just heard that you're doing a PhD on economics. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So economists are really interested in immigration for a number of reasons. And I can go into those a little bit later. But just my background is, so I used to work at the scan Center, working on similar issues. But um, my real ultimate interest is in economics. I think it tells us a lot about how the world works, and, and especially I'm interested in economic growth and in economic history. And one of the biggest questions in those fields is, you know, through most of human history, the economy has been pretty stagnant. And recently, in relative terms, the economy has taken off, and we've seen unprecedented levels of growth. It's slowed down a little bit in the last 50 to 70 years, and so understanding and unpacking what contributes to growth, what causes growth, how can we promote growth are incredibly interesting. And for areas. there are interesting questions on path. And immigration seems to be central to the story because one of the things that jumps out when, when you look at growth around the world is places that are growing at the frontier, places that are pushing new technologies, coming up with new inventions and innovations. It's a little bit harder for them to grow than countries that are trying to just catch up to the countries at the edge. But those countries, in order for them to come up with these new ideas, they need to have top talent. Some of that you can do homegrown, but one of the easiest ways to do it is to attract the world's best talent, which is easy for the United States. It might not be as easy for other countries, but getting the best people in the world to work on problems and work together and collaborate in interesting ways and exchange ideas, it seems to be key to promoting and accelerating economic growth.
0: That's so fascinating. It occurs to me to ask you, when was that aha moment for you when you realized the intersection between immigration and economics?
1: So I think it was, I mean, it must have been at the end of high school. I I had been interested in economics since I was in grade school. And there, I think a lot of the usual way to think about immigration is as, is as predominantly a labor issue. And that's very interesting as far as it goes, but it doesn't necessarily get you the kinds of permanent increases in the standard of living that something like economic growth can get you. And so there, I thought immigration seems interesting, and obviously immigration's really important from a humanitarian perspective. I've always believed that everyone in, in the United States Ultimately, here because people decided to move at some point in the past. But I didn't see the connection to growth until I stopped really thinking about immigrants only as as workers and started thinking about them as innovators and researchers and scientists and entrepreneurs. When I started thinking about it that way, it began to click more
0: you know, it's very evident in your work, of course, because you're so good with numbers and you're always, uh, you know, writing all these amazing reports. It didn't occur to me when that, you know, aha moment arrived for you. I've spoken to some people who were in finance and different types of industries, and they moved into immigration advocacy because they realized that there was this intersection that wasn't necessarily obvious until something happened in their career or education where they realized, aha, immigration is part of the economics of any country in fact so thank you so much for sharing that insight i'd love to talk about a little of the work that you will be focusing on you've hinted at you know innovation and scientific research talk about the work that you'll be doing in this new role
1: sure um so i'll be focused on policies and research on how we can use immigration to Raise US growth levels back to hopefully what they were, but at least try to reverse the decline in productivity growth. And that's going to incorporate a lot of different pieces. Some of my work in the past has been on international students and retaining them in the country, which the United States has a very difficult time doing. And so I hope to to continue to do work on on those issues. And it's also going to be on other kinds of issues related to bringing more people here who are working on cutting edge issues. various different fields. In order to have a a healthy innovation ecosystem, we need to have the top talent. And the US has broadly rested on its laurels in that. Just by being the clear world leader for so long, we've felt that we don't have to do anything proactively to attract people here. And we've suffered from that. I think if you look back through our history in you know just 20 years ago, we were the destination for more than half the world's immigrants. And today that number is less than 10%. And if we want to be serious about reversing the slowdown in productivity growth, we're going to have to go back to the basics, update our immigration system, which hasn't been updated significantly in any permanent ways in 30 years. And that's just in terms of numbers. But we also should be taking a look at the categories of people we let in. And that hasn't been updated in even longer, closer to 50 years. So those are the kinds of issues I'll be working on. Um, I'm happy to go into some of the more details. I'm really interested in. International students, like I mentioned, I'm really interested in ways that we can expand some existing programs, like the O visa, which seems to be very underused these days. And I'm very excited about the opportunities for entrepreneurship.
2: We'll be right back. Did you know that a business plan is an essential part of the immigration application process and a critical tool for entrepreneurs? The average business person will spend 250 hours developing an acceptable business plan. Save time, headaches, and avoid visa denials by getting a professional business plan from Master Plans. With over 20 years of experience and over 18,000 business plans under their belt, they deliver best in class research, financial modeling, and strategic direction, allowing you to focus on what you do best. Check out Master Plans at masterplans.com or call their team at 877 2011 Again, that is masterplans with an S.com or to get in touch. Thank you. Now back to our program.
0: Yeah, well, I am just so excited about the word entrepreneurship, because that will be the highlight of this conversation. And it's a topic very close to my heart. Our listeners will definitely relate to all the work that I've done on the startup visa for over a decade, and you know, all the policy advocacy. And so it brings us to today, because you are leading an effort where you have a coalition of the bright minds, legal minds in this country who are coming together to help advocate for better policies for entrepreneurs. So just to refresh the memory of our listeners, regarding entrepreneurship, there's the international entrepreneur rule. Now, that came because we don't have a startup visa, and I'm sure you're going to be working on that issue for sure. But that is something Congress has to do. And, you know, things get stalled in Congress often, although just this week, Speaker Pelosi has introduced a new bill in the House that introduces a startup visa. We'll see where that goes. But for today's purposes, let's talk about the International Entrepreneur Rule. The rule, our listeners will know a little bit about it, but maybe you can explain it from your perspective. Why is it important and where does it stand at the moment?
1: Sure. Um, I'll I'll address the first question first. Why is it important? The key thing to realize is just that this is a massive hole in our immigration system. The, The lack of a designated pathway. for immigrant entrepreneurs to come and found businesses here is a huge cost to our economy. We're pigeonholing immigrants who have great business ideas into visas that are designed for them, into programs that are primarily designed for workers. And again, this might have made sense when we designed our immigration system. When we wrote the immigration laws, most innovation in this country was done in big corporate R&D labs like Bell Labs and IBM. But since the 1980s, we've seen a big increase in the importance of individual entrepreneurs. And that used to be the case before the rise of the corporate R&D lab back in the 1800s. But the people who designed the immigration system weren't thinking about that, and they didn't foresee that the rise of the individual entrepreneur would become important again in the way that it has. But rather than update our immigration system, It's remained stagnant and we don't have a startup visa. A lot of other countries have realized that this is an amazing opportunity on the table for them and they've come up with startup visas of their own and been able to cut into the US's share of attracting talent. So it seems like it's an easy opportunity on the table that Congress should have been able to take and the fact that they didn't meant that some kind of program, even if it wasn't as good as one that can be designed through Congress, it should have been passed through the executive branch. And that is what happened under President Obama. And they promulgated the International Entrepreneurship Rule, which given the lack of anything through Congress, would be the best pathway for immigrants to found businesses here, create jobs, and grow incredible organizations. That was kind of put on pause during the Trump years. There was a lot of uncertainty about its future, how things would be adjudicated under the Trump administration. And now that power has transitioned again, President Biden has showed a new commitment to the international entrepreneur rule. And the hope is that this can be the best program that it, that it can be, I mean, that'll take some changes. And it'll also just mean that we need to do a better job of marketing it, potential entrepreneurs um, who might not know about it, especially because it didn't come with a big new law that would get a lot of attention.
0: That's true. Yeah. And you know, and thank you for that explanation. And as a practitioner, it's been a challenging time because when you look at this rule, it was very exciting that it was revived. But It's not in a situation where there are certain processing times or other information that entrepreneurs can use with certainty and knowing when they can actually get their foot in the door in the United States. One of the things that the entrepreneur rule requires is that an investor, an American investor, a qualified investor will invest at least $250,000. Now this can be pulled together by different angel investors or one venture capital company. But when an entrepreneur receives funding. From that moment, there's an expectation that they will perform. They will be here to perform. And that's being hindered at the moment. So tell us a little bit about the changes that we're hoping for and the work that we're doing together.
1: Yeah. So this coalition is very exciting. It's the Coalition for Immigrant Entrepreneurship. It's a group of, I believe, 34 people from a very diverse set of backgrounds. You have people in the immigration law community, you have people in the immigration policy community, you have people in the startup and investment communities, and it's bringing all of them together and saying, here are ways that we can make this program live up to its potential. And some of these are very technical suggestions, but the bottom line behind all of them is making sure that people who want to make use of the program can do so in an efficient way. One of the suggestions, for instance, is bring premium processing to applications filed under this program, which will allow people to get processed in in a reasonable amount of time so that their businesses aren't waiting on a very lengthy and inefficient immigration processing program. And there's other suggestions as well about who is going to be physically processing these applications. So right now, the rule has it structured so that they will be adjudicated by people who run the EB5 program, which is basically used for investors, as opposed to people within USCIS who have more experience with the kinds of applicants who this program could potentially be helping. And so most of them seem pretty trivial and technical, but when you look at the effect of all of them together, I think it'll make the program a lot more effective, a lot more efficient, and a lot better at attracting and bringing over the kind of people we want and making sure that these aren't obstacles standing in the way of people starting the next great companies here in the United States.
0: Fantastic. Well, I have to say I'm very honored and grateful to be part of the coalition and to have had the opportunity to be part of the drafting committee for the letter. And I cannot wait to see the letter go out. This podcast will release around the same time the letter goes out. So if you are listening and you're interested, there will be a link here. So follow us on social media to see the letter. And if you are part of the startup ecosystem, this letter will be of interest to you. So please share it widely. And Jeremy, if people want to contact you, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, people can contact me through my email, which is jeremy at progress.institute. and they can also reach out on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Jeremy L. Neufeld. I'll respond to both of them.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Well, I'm excited about this coalition. I'm excited about all the things that you have in mind to do for innovation and the economic recovery. And I'm excited to see where all of this goes. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for being here. Do you have any parting words for our listeners?
1: Thanks so much, Shamina. Yeah, I think my part of words would just be I, a recent study just came out in the last few weeks that looked at people who founded unicorn companies in the United States, so companies that are worth many billions of dollars and 44% of the founders were immigrants. And that's in spite of immigrants only being about 14% of the population of the United States. So we know that immigrants play a hugely disproportional role in driving US innovation and entrepreneurship. And that's in spite of our immigration system, putting every possible obstacle in their way. I'm really excited about the opportunity that International Entrepreneur Parole will offer to removing some of those obstacles. And if the program can be refined just a little bit more, we can really get the best possible advantage out of this program.
0: You know, it occurs to me to ask you something that a lot of listeners might be thinking about. So some people might say, well, if we have this parole, why would we need a startup visa through Congress? Would you be able to answer that question?
1: I mean, first of all, the eligibility for it is going to be much narrower. It's going to be it's going to be much easier for someone who's already here to start a business. It's not going to be as well tailored for someone who isn't already here. And they're going to have a a much harder time staying in the United States because they still have to eventually use our existing programs both non-immigrant and immigrant visas without changes to those programs. Both attracting people who aren't already here and keeping them here once they've started their businesses is going to be harder. There's ways around that. There's really convoluted paths they can follow, especially if they're if their business is successful, but it's a huge cost to them. It's a huge deterrent to a lot of people with a lot of potential. And for all the good that this this program, I think will will do, it won't be as well tailored. To these people, and it will still deter many people compared to a designated visa program like what we see in, the, in this House America to Act, which I think would be a very promising development on top of international entrepreneurial.
0: Well, wonderful. On top of the International Entrepreneur Parole. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been so enlightening. I hope people will take action themselves. And I love that you said it's been the rise of individual entrepreneurship because I've seen that. I have lived it through my clients and I know the benefit it can bring to the United States. So thank you for sharing your
2: insights and thank you for being here.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Tamina.
2: Tamina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms, specializing in business and investment visas, but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206 292 5237 to schedule an appointment. Again, you can schedule an appointment at 206-292-5237. Also subscribe to our blog at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com for immigration updates. Thank you so much for listening. Mina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms, specializing in business and investment visas but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206 292. 5237 to schedule an appointment. Again, you can schedule an appointment at 206-292-5237. Also subscribe to our blog at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com for immigration updates. Thank you so much for listening.